Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament passage of Ephesians. The New Testament passage of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter number 5. We're in a small little mini-series dealing with the idea of biblical music. That we know that music is mentioned almost 800 times in the Word of God. And so with it being mentioned so many times that we as biblicists or people who believe in the Bible should be able to have a biblically defensible position to describe about the music that we believe should be used to worship the Lord. And so we've taken some time to give an introduction, talk about benefits to music. We talked about the worship of music. We explained a little bit dealing with the idea of the ministry of music. And then as we hit the book of Ephesians chapter number 5, we could see that the God has told us that we are to sing to ourselves in psalms. So we talked about the music of psalms. We talked about the music of hymns, and we spoke about that last week. And now as we continue on, we're going to see the other part of music that is mentioned in the book of Ephesians. As for now, let's look together and see the passage in its context. Look with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. The book of Ephesians chapter number 5, and notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse 16. The book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16. It says, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for the things unto the Lord, unto God, and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the book of Ephesians, chapter number five. The book of Ephesians, chapter number five, and notice with me where it mentions in verse number 19 that we're supposed to sing to ourselves in spiritual songs. In spiritual songs. And with this, we're going to talk about the music of spiritual songs, and we're going to place an emphasis on the word melody, and we'll explain more about that here in just a bit. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being here today, and we're asking that you would give grace and that you would give mercy, that you would help us, Lord, just to learn more about your music, to learn more about what your word says, that we may apply it correctly. I'm asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, Lord. Thank you that we can trust you and depend upon you. Help us clear any distractions, anything that may be in our minds, that we could put our attention upon you. Once again, fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose of being able to explain what your word says and what your desire is concerning the idea of music. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we examine this passage here in Ephesians, I do want you to pay attention to verse number 16. In verse 16, notice where it says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The word evil here, it carries the idea of not only evil, but the idea to get others to be evil. 
Those are the times that we live in. Is that we don't just live in evil days. We live in days where people are trying to provoke others and encourage others for them to be evil as well. And it's in the midst of this because we live in evil days. We're not to be unwise, but we're supposed to be understanding of what the will of the Lord is. Now, God ties in the will of God, and he ties it in to music. Now, as we examine this some more in the context, we could see verse 17, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Then in verse 18, be not drunk with wine, whereas an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The word excess here carries the idea to be out of control. And just like a drunkard who or someone who is currently drunk with wine or drunk with alcohol, they are now out of control. They're now in the control of something else. They are out of control. Now, filling with the Spirit means to allow God to take control of your spirit, that you have relinquished control and you are allowing God to have control of your life and of your spirit. And then they tie it into music. The very first subject mentioned after the filling of the Holy Ghost in this passage is music. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Well, we know the companion passage to this in the book of Ephesians. The companion passage is the book of Colossians. And it says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, as this is a companion passage, we understand that there is a tight relationship between being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the scriptures. You cannot be a spiritual person without first being a scriptural person. You must have the word of God. So we know that the result of spiritual filling and the result of being filled with God's word is music, as these two passages lean and tell us. Now, let's explain these. We talked about psalms. Psalms are the words of scripture. They actually carry the idea of instrumental music, and we took time to take a whole lecture on that, explaining that the idea of psalms carried not just <coughs> the words, but they also had a lot of music and a lot of things went with it. It carries the words of scripture a whole lot of went with that. The idea of hymns were directed to be praises to God. And it's concentrating on the words of the music. The doctrine of the music. And now as we hit the idea of spiritual songs. Spiritual songs are a songs of testimony in a short definition. But let's expand that just a little bit more. Notice if you don't mind in that Ephesians passage or the Colossians passage. That we are supposed to be. Singing, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's very important that God has placed the emphasis here on melody. We understand that good music, godly music, is made up primarily of melody. Now we're starting to speak about musical terms. Let's define our terms so that way we understand what we're speaking of. Melody is the main tune. Melody carries the truth of the music. So we understand that music is made up of three parts. The very first part of music is melody. Melody is the main tune of music. It carries the truth of the music. 
This is important. That's why God has placed the emphasis on the melody. After that, we understand that not only melody, but God is that music is made up of harmony. Music has melody and it has harmony. Harmony is the background music. It carries the emotion of the music. So harmony carries the emotion of the music. It's the background, the accompaniment. Then we have rhythm. Rhythm is the beat. It moves the song forward. Now you must have rhythm for it to be music, but the overemphasis of rhythm is, is uh, the problem. Now, <clears throat> some people describe rhythm as the pulse, the heartbeat. Now, the heartbeat is important for you, but it's not all of you. However, if there's no heartbeat, there's no life, right? If you stopped having your heartbeat. But if your heart is beating too fast, that's a problem, right? People have issues with that. And so the rhythm has to be controlled even though it is important. It's not the emphasis. By the way, it's neither here nor there. But did you know that at orchestra, if you had a 100-piece orchestra, only 3% of the orchestra is going to be percussion or the rhythm part of it. That most of it is going to be made up of the other parts. Rhythm just has a small bit. Neither here nor there, but just interesting to note that even in symphonies, it has that. Now, in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, we could see that God mentions that we as men, as human beings, have three parts to us. It says in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 verse 23, and it says, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand that we as humans are made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Well, let's define these three parts, if you don't mind. In the spirit, we have the candle of the Lord. Now, if I had a candle and it was not lit, is it still a candle? Absolutely. If I light the candle, is it still a candle? It is. We understand that God has made everyone with a spirit. But when we get saved, the candle gets lit. But everyone has a part of them that is able to respond to God. Every person is made with spirit. And so we understand this idea of the candle. Now, when we, we don't just have spirit, we as humans are made up of spirit. We're made up of also soul. Now, what is our soul made up of? Our soul has three parts. It is made up of will, intellect, and emotion. Our soul is made up of will, intellect, and emotion. With will, we decide. With emotion, we feel. With intellect, we think. But our soul is made up of those three parts, of will, intellect, and emotion. By the way, our decision-making is important, and sometimes our decision-making can be based off of emotions. And it can be made up of intellect. But our soul is made up of these three parts. Will, intellect, and emotion. As we understand the other part of man, we have the spirit, we have the soul, and then we have our body. In our body, we have our five senses. It's how we interact with the world. Taste, touch, hear, seeing, sight, <coughs> smelling. We have those five senses. Now, with our body, we are world conscious. With our soul, we are self-conscious. And with our spirit, we are 
God conscience. Each five of parts or three parts of man interacts with some aspect of the world around us, whether it's the world, ourselves, or our relationship with the Lord. Now, the part of music that is emphasized, that emphasis feeds the corresponding part of the body. It is interesting to note that the three parts of music corresponds to the three parts of uh, man. And that which part of music you emphasize is actually what part of man it feeds. For example, the melody, the truth of the music feeds the spirit. That spiritual aspect where we interact and recognize who God is. So when the emphasis is placed on the melody, it is placing emphasis on the truth of the music which feeds our spirit. That when the emphasis is placed on harmony, then that feeds the emotions, the soul part of it. We understand that there are, is such a thing as soul worship as opposed to spirit worship. In the idea of soul worship, people get to the place where they listen to the music and it feeds their emotions and they have an emotional response to music. But just because you have an emotional response to music doesn't mean you have a spiritual response to music. And this is where some people have a hard time discerning the idea of music because music feels good to me. We're not necessarily looking at the, the feeling. We're looking specifically, does it feed the spirit? And what part of music feeds the spirit? And then the third part of music is rhythm. When the emphasis is placed off of rhythm, it ends up feeding the body. It ends up emphasizing and feeding the body. That's why you can hear some music of the world's music. This is why it actually can produce a physiological change. That's why some people can go work all day and then go to a nightclub. And the music actually changes the physiology and allows them to have the energy to dance all night and move all the stuff. It actually proven that it affects the nerve connectors and it could produce chemicals in the body to allow to go. And so when the emphasis is placed on the rhythm, it actually feeds the body, the senses of us, and it feeds technically the flesh. Now, we understand that there is a difference between a spiritual person and a sensual person or a worldly person. Now, remember, we are looking to feed the spirit because it is with our spirit that we interact with God. And the part of music that we emphasize to feed the spirit is going to be the melody. And with this, the Bible, we can understand there is a difference between a spiritual person and a sensual person. How do you know which one's spiritual and which one's sensual? Well, let's define our terms. The spiritual pattern places an emphasis on the spirit and then the mind, thus the soul, and the body. So a spiritual person is going to first of all take care of their spiritual needs. Then they're going to take care of their mind, and then they're going to place an, uh, take care of the body. Whereas the sensual person is going to put it in reverse. Let's understand, first of all, the spiritual pattern. <laughs> we understand that the principle is easy, the practical is hard. For example, we all know, we're supposed to put God first. That sounds great. But then when it comes to practice, that's a little less easy. That's the idea that we have here. So if you want to be a spiritual person, you must first place spiritual things first. Let's examine this. If we were to put the spiritual things first, 
What does the Bible say concerning this? Matthew 6, 23. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. What did we understand? That for our spiritual idea, if we're to put spiritual things first, we put God first. And then he takes care of us. In the context here, that if we put the things of Christ first, God will take care of our physical needs and supplies. Our part is to put God first, then he takes care of the physical needs. This is the idea of a spiritual person. Well, what about a spiritual person? What is what do they deal with their mind, their soul? Well, let's check this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into every captivity or into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So a spiritual person who's putting God first and putting things of God first is even going to take their very thoughts and they're going to put them against the knowledge of God to put them to see if God is pleasing with those thoughts. Make everything you think a spiritual slave to that which is right, to put your think thoughts into subjection. This is what the spiritual pattern is, that they seek God first, and then they even take their mind, their thoughts, and they line them up to, is this pleasing to God? Is this what God would like us to think? And then a spiritual person, how do they deal with their body? Our body is important, but how do we deal with our body? Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. A spiritual person is going to understand that our flesh craves certain things and that we're going to keep our bodies under subjection, under the authority of God and not give in to the things of the flesh to fulfill those things. The Bible also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What are we speaking about here? Well, we understand that we're not supposed to compare things with ourselves. Instead, we should make God our standard and we compare those things to God. You know, if you compare yourself to someone else, you could always find someone who's worse off than you. You could always find someone who is further away from God than you. You could always find someone to make yourself look better. But when you compare yourself to the Lord, we've all fall short. And we understand we can see the places that we have to work on when we compare ourselves to God rather than we find someone else to compare ourselves to. This is the idea of a spiritual person is that we're not comparing with other people. My race is not against other people. My goal is God and I compare myself to him. That's the idea of a spiritual person. Well, let's take the sensual pattern. Well, if a spiritual person puts the spirit first and then the mind and then the body, well, a sensual or worldly person is going to reverse that. They're going to put the body first, then the mind, and then the leftovers go to the spirit. So how does this employ and work out? Well, sensuality is allowing physical things to control your life. So someone who is sensual is someone who's worried 
taking care of the flesh. Taking care of what makes me feel good now. If I feel like doing it, then that's what I'm going to do. If this is what feels good to me, then I'll do that. A sensual person is all about taking care of themselves now for the temporary to the expense of everything else. So they don't plan ahead. They just worry about what makes me feel good now and I'll worry about the consequences later if I even worry about the consequences. And that's a sensual, that's a worldly person. Now we know that sexual sensual sins come as a result of a pattern of a sensual life. If I get so used to feeding my flesh, so used to making me happy now, me satisfied now, then sexual sins will be soon to come afterwards because I'm already used to satisfying urges and feeding the flesh. It's just one step away. This is the part problem with being a sensual, a worldly person, developing a pattern. So how does this show up? Does the Bible describe what happens when someone is a sensual person and they're worried about the here and the now and not caring about the spiritual things, not caring about the consequences? Well, it does. It's found in the book of Romans chapter 1, and you could walk through that passage and see the results. Let's give the example of the body. So in Romans chapter 1, it describes how someone can come to the knowledge of God, meaning that they've been exposed to God some way or not. God says that every man is without excuse because God has given them the light of creation and the light of <coughs> of conscience. Every man has a conscience. Every man has an innate sense that there is a God. And every man has the evidence of creation around them. To look at a brand new baby, you have to say, God did this. To look at a sunset, to look at a sunrise, to be able to say, God did this. God has plenty of evidence. Well, anybody could see those evidences and reject them and turn from following after God. And as a result, because they're no longer pleasing God, the only person left to please is themselves. And as they seek to please themselves, what happens is that they turn further and further away from God. In the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 24, as God walks through this passage and shows these steps, Romans 1.24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So here is a person that says, I don't want God to rule over my life. I want to choose what I do. And God says, fine, you have the freedom to do so. And the people then have the freedom to dishonor their bodies. But they think they're trying to make themselves happy. But they end up abusing their bodies. And damaging their bodies. And dishonoring their bodies. Because they choose, I want to please me now, but there's consequences for those actions. The Bible <coughs> talks about that the first thing that God gives up to people is their body or physicality. Fine. You want it? Have at it. And you're going to have to bear the consequences in your body. But what about the mind? Well, if a person continues on, notice what the Bible says in Romans 1.26, two verses down. For this cause, this reason, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even the women did change the natural use into which is against nature. Now it's against what they're thinking about. Their thinking has changed and now they're accepting things that are not even natural. Their mind is thinking differently. 
And then follows by their spirit. God gives up their spirit. Notice what is left over now in verse number 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. As people try to live God, leave God out, all that is eventually left is a reprobate mind. Their spirit is gone. They're no longer thinking about God. Their mind is so warped. Everything is gone. That's what happens to a sensual person or a person that gets things backwards. Instead of putting God first, they put themselves first. And then everything changes. You say, well, I thought we were talking about music. Well, we're talking about spiritual music. And if it is going to be a spiritual music, it must put God first. So let's cover some foundational principles. Now, by the way, there is so much in this lecture that I actually had to cut out half of it. But I'm trying to lay at least a good foundation so that way we could build off of it and have an understanding of what God is looking for in this. In the book of 1 Corinthians 14, 15, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, gives this statement. He says, even the things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in sounds, how shall it be known? What is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Now, in this passage, Paul is dealing about the words of the church of Corinth. And when he does this, he brings up the idea of musical instruments. For example, trumpets all throughout military history had been used to direct traffic because you could blow it loud and with trumpet sounds you could say charge with trumpet sounds you could sound retreat with trumpet sounds you could say fall back with trumpet sounds you could direct all kinds of things and so the people were used to when they hear this sound that something happens. Let's give an example. We're not quite in Tornado Alley. I'm used to Tornado Alley. In fact, we used to be so much in Tornado Alley that my youngest child can mimic the tornado sirens. And she could do it quite... Why could she mimic it? Because it was a distinctive sound. When you hear the tornado siren, you know what that sound means. And unless it's Wednesday at noon, you're starting to check the news and starting to find out where's the tornado at? Where's the storm at? Well, if the alarm starts blaring some unseen sound and starts and you go what is that am i supposed to look for shelter is aliens coming what does it mean you see unless it puts a sound that people recognize it doesn't do any good well as we continue to tie this principle here we know that sat music has sounds that have communication and this music has language that tells you what to do. Now, music does have all the elements of language. Now, this is an important principle. Music is a language. Music has grammar. Believe it or not, music has grammar. There is a proper way to use music and put it together. Music has syntax. What is syntax? Well, it's putting the parts of speech together in the right order. For example... We, as in English, we usually have a, a, a noun followed by a verb followed by a direct object. You guys remember that way back in the day? And so there is a proper speech. In English, I don't say, if I was going to say, Krista, go close the door. Krista would be the noun. 
close the door. <laughs> close would be the verb, that's the action, and the door would be the direct object, what I'm directly talking about. In English, I don't say, Krista, door close. Okay, that's bad syntax. I'm putting things out of order. And for English speakers, you could probably guess that. But if I'm using longer paragraphs and I have everything out of order, you would say, what in the world is he talking about? Music has syntax. And if it's not in a proper order, it does not communicate what it needs to. Music also has communication. Music is meant to communicate and convey a message. With it, music also has meaning. Every writer of music is intending the music to produce some meaning. Usually emotion. And if it doesn't, I listen to that song and it does nothing to me. The artist who wrote it feels like he failed. Because the music has meaning. There is something he's trying to convey. Music, or like language, is abstract and not concrete. Meaning that when we use words, it's not a concrete thing. It is our thinking that we are putting it together. It is an abstract. <coughs> That's just more of an idea that's comparing music and what. We're not going to explain all of that. And then music has context. If you take music outside of its context, it does not make sense. It can be misunderstood. Now, what is studied in music schools is how to get the right sound into the right context. Now, it's important, for example, I guarantee, well, unless you're weird, you could be weird, that when you wake up in the morning and your alarm is set off, it is not a marching band sound. It's not the right context. If gentlemen, you're going to take your lady out to a special date and you're going to have a candlelit dinner, there is a proper music that should be playing in the background. You're not going to have the marching band music in the background if you're trying to have a nice romantic candlelit dinner. It is out of context. Music must be in its right context to have the right meaning. For example, I have a pastor who I love so much, my pastor. And he is an early bird. And when I mean early bird, it's not like normal people time. He wakes up four or five in the morning. And when he wakes up, he wakes up singing which is great and all, except I want to be sleeping. And so if we had to travel together at a special meeting and we saved money and stayed in the same hotel, there's a problem because I like to stay up a little bit later. He likes to wake up 4 o'clock in the morning. And when he sings, it's not soft. It's beautiful voice. But man, I hate his music at 4 o'clock in the morning. Because if it's not in its right context, not in its proper place, what happens is it makes the opposite effect of what the music was intended for. Does that make sense? So if you put the wrong sound in the wrong place, you put it out of context. So if we can understand the language of music, and by the way, music does is a language, we could use discernment in the area of music. Now again, I'm building up a foundation here. I'm building up our understanding. The Bible talks about in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. This should be our standard if we are spiritual people, then 
it should start off with spiritual needs, putting God first. And that everything we have should be proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. The word proving means testing, meaning we are testing it. We are putting it aside what God wants. It's not what we like or what everyone else like that determines whether it's good or not. It's what is acceptable to the Lord. He is our standard. By the way, this is where music teaching fails because if someone doesn't have a desire to be pleasing to the Lord, everything that I say doesn't matter. I am hopefully teaching to some folks that want to be pleasing to the Lord. And so therefore, we must test all of these things to what is pleasing to him, putting spiritual things first. Now, we know that everyone is a musical expert, even if they don't um, know music. How do we know? Because everyone has music they like. You may not know why you like it, but I like it. No matter what you tell me, I like it. Everyone's a music expert. Everyone knows something about music. Well, what, how do we know if music is good? Does the fact that you like it make it good music? How about, does the fact that you don't like it, does it make it bad music? How about, does the fact that you got a blessing from it mean that it is good? You understand this is the idea, are we looking things spiritually? Are we looking things sensually? It doesn't matter what we say about it. It matters what does God have to say against it, about it. So let's cover some more. We know that music is mentioned close to 800 times in the Bible. Therefore, we should be able to discern from the Bible what God says is acceptable. And that's what we've been trying to do through this course. Now, another thing that we have to cover as we're just hitting some foundations is the question, is music a moral? Now, remember, the word moral carries the idea of our sense of right and wrong. When you put the word a in front of something, it means the opposite of. Amoral means not moral or <laughs> the absence of morals. For example, if you were to say, I was musing, the Bible talks about this, that while I was musing, the fire burned, the word musing means to think. So what happens when you go do entertainment? You are amused. That's the opposite of thinking. That's what happens with television. It's all right. So let's cover the idea. Is music a moral? Because this is something that's brought up nowadays. The, the idea that people sometimes say there's no such thing as good or bad music. Do you know that no generation up to this time has ever believed that? The only time the argument is music uh, that music is neither good or bad has only come up with Christians trying to defend bad music. And we could prove that that is documented. No other generation has ever believed that music is not good or bad. They always have believed from earlier times that it is good or bad. Here's uh, Howard Hansen from the Eastman School of Music, a teacher of music. Music could be soothing or invigorating, ennobling, uh, vulgarizing, philosophical, or orgasmic. It has power for evil as well as for good. This is a music teacher who understands music. Music does have morals. It is good or bad. He also wrote about the effects of music upon the human nervous system. I mentioned this because we're going to mention a little bit later about music and the, and the nervous system. 
Some people will try to say, well, God doesn't care what kind of music we use. Which brings us to the first definition of a moral. A moral carries the idea without sense of moral responsibility. Some people say, well, music's immoral and it has no sense of moral responsibility. Well, this is something that people are trying to teach today in so many subjects other than music. We have issues being taught as if they were immoral or no moral principles involved. For example, sex education. Well, there's no morals involved. We just want to teach you the facts. Well, there is morals involved in teaching such a subject. What about the idea of medicine? Medicine is not immoral. The, even the Hippocratic Oath says that I will do no harm. In fact, it goes on and says quite a bit more, which, by the way, the Hippocratic Oath also prevents abortion in that oath, if you looked at it. Speaking of that, some people are saying abortion has no moral. It's not moral. I am just getting rid of some extra tissue. Isn't that some of the arguments? Well, you understand it is a moral issue. And people are trying to cloud things up by saying they're not moral issues. These are all moral issues. So here's another definition of a moral. A moral is incapable of distinguishing between right and wrong. So it gets to the place where people can't say this is right and this is wrong. I can't tell. They're both the same to me. By the way, this is the most dangerous. You understand, you could have a moral society, a society that knows what's right and wrong and chooses to do right. You can have an immoral society, a society that knows right or wrong and chooses to do wrong. But if you have an amoral society, you have a society that cannot tell the difference between right and wrong. And that is always dangerous. Once people treat music as if it was amoral, they'll be able to treat other issues without the ability to discern whether they're right or wrong. Let's see. <coughs> one, this is also one way to introduce a false gospel in the church is by wrong music because they can't discern whether it's right or wrong and it's able to use as a vehicle to change the gospel. Here's Isaiah chapter 50 verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. God says, woe unto a nation, woe unto a people that can't even tell the difference between good or wrong, right or wrong, good or bad. That's a dangerous place to be in, and yet people are trying to judge music as if it is right, no right or wrong, when clearly it is, and we can show more about that. They took the idea that there's no right nor wrong and they lost their sense of moral responsibility. Here is a professor from, of social thought from the University of Chicago. Maybe you recognize the University of Chicago. It is not a Bible college. All right? How many of you could figure that out? University of Chicago is not a place to send Bible college students. Yet this man, Alan Bloom, had wrote this book, The Closing of the American mind. When it first came out, all the folks of liberal thought was applauding it until they read it. And then they said, wait a second here. These thoughts are very pinpointing. He said in this book, it may be that society's greatest madness seems normal itself. Well, that's a good observation, meaning that he's pointing out that society can't even tell the difference between right and wrong. They think they're doing good, but it's madness. 
Notice what else he says in this book. He says, TV compared to music plays a comparatively small role in the formation of character and taste. Now, notice what he said. He said something significant. He said that TV plays a small role. What plays a bigger role of developing how someone's moral character is going to develop? The music they listen to. The music that someone listens to is going to determine whether they are going to serve God or not serve God. The music they listen to is going to determine whether they want to be pleasing to God or they want to be pleasing to themselves. Music plays a bigger role than television. By the way, we do put a place in emphasis on garbage on television. But music plays a bigger role. This is why you can't compete. If, if parents allow their kids to listen to whatever music they want, I could preach till I'm blue in the face and I'm not going to get through to them. Because music is going to help dictate their moral code and the character they have. Music is that powerful. By the way, I didn't just say that. A uni- uh, the professor of social thought at the University of Chicago said that. Notice something else he said. Rock music has one appeal only, a barbaric appeal to sexual desire. That's interesting. This is a liberal professor saying this, not, not a preacher. He said this. He also said, the youngsters know this perfectly well, even if their parents do not. Music has so much power. The Bible says in Luke 16 verse 8, And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. If lost people can point out the dangers of music, why can't Christians? Notice if you don't mind. You cannot separate the medium from the message. You can't separate the music from the message it's trying to convey. That you can't separate them. Music is important to the message. Here's another person, David Tame. He's a secular writer, not a Christian writer. And he writes about the power of music in the lives of others. He said the concept that music affects character was the one great inspiring force behind the lives of the great composers. He says, why did the great composers write? Because they understood how important music was in inspiring and directing people. He goes on to say, <coughs> or <coughs> this is one of the reasons, by the way, the old composers wrote their music. They wrote their music to help develop and lift up people from where they were and help develop their character. This is why those old composers spent years studying music. So that way they could use their music to help people with their character and who they were. Interesting enough, Aristotle, an old Greek philosopher, he said this. If one listens to the wrong kind of music, he will become the wrong kind of person. And if he listens to the right kind of music, he will tend to be the right type of person. Again, this is the great philosopher Aristotle. By the way, this is the basis of thought of what we call ethics. What is it? That people listen to the right music, they become the right kind of people. They listen to the wrong music, they become the wrong kind of people. This is the basis of the philosophy 
of ethics. Aristotle, all over those years, understood the power of music. This is why God is placing the emphasis here that we need to have the truth of the music and the melody correct in order to convey the right thing pleasing to the Lord. Now, let's cover some principles of God's word. You're listening very well. Let's try to see some of these things here. We find Bible principles and we can apply them to the issues of life. And there are many verses that mention the subject of music indirectly. Meaning that it doesn't say, this is what music says. But we could find a principle that applies to music quite easily. For example, the Bible talks about Hebrews 5.14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Notice that word use here. That word use is very important. This word use carries the idea to practice by habit. The Bible says that we could exercise our senses by use, by putting this to practice, meaning that you can develop the habit to listen to right music. Some people say, well, I just hate that church music. It's just too boring. Well, you know, what I usually recommend is that they don't listen to any music for six months to a year. They just listen to preaching. If they stay away from music for six months to a year, they'll love church music if they've been listening to preaching. And they'll have a hard time going back to their old music. You could actually practice and use of discerning of what good music is. Notice that word exercise, another one here. We saw the word use to, by reason of use, have make their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Well, the word exercise means to discipline. If you were to exercise, you know what you do? You discipline your body. You are working at disciplining it. In fact, the root word of it actually means to discipline. That same root word, by the way, is the same word we get our word gymnasium, where a person goes to discipline their body. And so with that same idea that you're going to discipline your body like you would going to a gym, you could discipline your body to use your senses to discern good and evil. Meaning that the only way that you get better at discerning is by exercising it, by disciplining it. People who don't have any discernment, let's define discernment. Discernment means far-seeing. It's not just seeing where people are at, it's seeing where they're going. Some people say, oh, look, I'm fine. Look, he's right here. They're not seeing that where they're going is they're veering off. That's a lack of discernment. Discerning people can say, where you're headed to, that path, it doesn't seem bad now, but it's leading to somewhere awful. You, can, you only get better at discernment by exercising it. By using it, putting it into discipline. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 uh, and verse 11 says, No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. There's that same word of disciplining. Do you understand that chastening us disciplines us? That's why we discipline our children. Why? We're helping to exercise good behavior. We're trying to teach them and correct them. That's why it's good for people to say, no, 
for some people to say that's good. That discipline is what we need to do what's right. Without discipline, they will not do what is right. That's part of that exercising. The book of 2 Peter 2.14. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and a heart they have exercised with covetous practice. Cursed children. Do you know just like you could exercise discernment, you could actually discipline, exercise discipline yourself to enjoy the wrong type of things. To exercise, discipline yourself to have covetous, sinful practices. You could actually be trained the wrong way through this discipline. And that's what many people do. They begin to listen to the wrong type of music and they discipline themselves to enjoy the wrong things. That's why we can't use the thing, well, I like music, that makes it right. We have to discern everything to God. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That means that we need to discipline our senses, all five of them, which include hearing. Now I'm going to bring back some things that we've said before and bringing it back. Notice this idea that it should be even the hearing. Hearing is mentioned over 1,500 times in the Word of God, more than any other sense. So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Notice this, faith cometh by hearing. It does not come by seeing. Faith doesn't come by feeling, and it doesn't come by experience. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. In the Bible, Christ is called the word. Once again, another hearing thing. We hear the word. John the Baptist is called a voice. Once again, more hearing terms. Now, we know that sound influences the entire human being. Sound can be felt in every nerve connection in the body. And it's pretty amazing, all the nerve connections. Hearing is so important. More nerves are dedicated to hearing than anything else. You have more nerve connections to your hearing than any of your other senses. No wonder God places an emphasis on our hearing. Notice this. In Exodus 32, verse 17, when Joshua and Moses are on Mount Sinai, they're starting to come down. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Interesting enough, the word noise means noise. That's what it was. He heard an awful racket. What was that racket he heard, by the way? Well, Moses gives a clarification in verse 18. And he, Moses, said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. That noise meant noise. And it was an awful racket, but it was music. Not good music, but it was a noise that was associated with the debauchery that was going on. Now, in Psalm 100, verse 1, it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. This word noise here carries the idea of a loud sound. So two different words being used there. And God says he wants to hear us sing loudly for him. 
But again, we're noticing these sound words that affect the hearing. We're almost done. I want to take us to the words of Jesus. And Mark chapter 4, verse 24, and he said to them, Take heed, notice this, what you hear. That's pretty important. This carries the idea of the truth. We are to pay attention to the truth. But notice, if you don't mind, in Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 8, verse 18, he says, Take heed, therefore, how you hear. You understand, it's not just about what you hear. Jesus said that we should take care how we hear. The vehicle that's being used, the melody, the music of the words. Now again, all I could do right now is just give you a brief understanding. Just try to build some foundational principles as we're trying to understand the idea of spiritual music. If we are going to be spiritual people, we must put the things of God first. It's not what we feel, what we like, what we think is acceptable. That as the Bible says that we should test everything to what is acceptable unto the Lord. So we have to understand the principles and understand there is right music, there is wrong music. There's music that helps you, music that helps you to become more fleshly. We must be discerning of those things and thus study and find out what the Bible has to say concerning these things. It's not just what we hear, it is how we hear it. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.